Welcome, everybody. Let's talk real estate. Your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current commercial real estate market here in Southern California. As we take a no BS look at both sides of the issues driving this market today to find the best solutions going forward. With our man right in the middle, Barry Saywitz. Hey, Barry. Hey, good morning, Paul, and uh, good morning to all of our viewers and our listeners out there. Welcome back again. It's Tuesday, and if it's Tuesday, we're talking real estate. I am Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company and managing partner of Saywitz Properties. And if it's one thing that I've learned in my 30-plus years of doing this, it's to look at both sides of the equation, look at all aspects of your opportunities, try and gather the best information you can, and make an informed business decision. And so we're going to try and do that today. Uh, We're hoping we'll give you some insights and uh, some highlights in terms of the economy and the capital market uh, about today's show. And uh, we're doing a Zoom show, which we don't do very often. So for good or bad, we're doing it, and we're going to use modern technology. But before we get going, I do want to do a shout-out out to uh, all the people who won their election and all the people I voted for that didn't win. Sorry, we'll maybe we'll try it again next time. But we are moving forward with our political environment. Uh, there's a new plan in place, and uh, everybody's just going to have to live with it. Uh, with that said, uh, I want to welcome our guest, Steve Stein, who is the co-founder and president of the Capital Markets Division of Toro Capital Advisors in Los Angeles. Steve, welcome to the show. Good morning, Barry. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so Steve is uh, in his uh, suite high above the Las Vegas Strip, uh, enjoying uh, that part of the country, and I appreciate you coming and and sharing your thoughts and insights with us. Um, I want to get started with, uh, I guess, just your history. You're a longtime real estate guy in Southern California and uh, have now uh, expanded with your new company or newer company uh, to uh, multiple markets around the country. Why don't you give us a, a bit of a history of Toro Cap? and how you got going. Sure, I'll give my uh, background real quick. I was with uh, Marcus Millichap for 22 years. I started in Phoenix as an apartment broker, and I was there from 90 to 96, and then Marcus Millichap was going through an expansion. They invited me into management. I came to Southern California then in uh, 96 uh, to run the uh, Long Beach office for Marcus, and then they asked me to take over LA, and I was in LA from 99 till 2012 when I left. And when I left Marcus, I was broker record for the company. And in addition to the downtown LA office, I oversaw about six or seven other offices. So then I left and I went to go work for George Smith Partners, a mortgage brokerage firm in uh, Century City. And I had a client, uh, Frontier, who was single tenant and multi tenant retail. Uh, they asked me to come on board. And so I started a little bit different version of Toro and I was helping them with all of their capital needs. Uh, George Smith Partners asked me to come back and run the company. Um, the way they're set up though is that if you're a partner or in um, management, they also want you to produce, which was a little bit different than my history at Marcus and Millichap because one of the things I liked at uh, M&M is that it's a non-competing management. So you're not competing with the guys that keep the lights on. Yeah. So five years ago, I decided to to start uh, this version of Toro. I reached out to someone I had known for a number of years in the industry, uh, Scott Lee, and we created Toro five years ago. So here we are. Uh, November 1st actually was our fifth anniversary. Uh, We have 38 people, which is a mix of people that produce or capital advisors. There's 25 there. And then there's 13 in what we call advisory services, which is all the back-end people that help support the salespeople, if you will. And with that, we have five offices. We're in downtown LA, 
San Francisco, Sacramento. We're in Phoenix, Scottsdale. We're in Dallas. We're in Orange County. And we're getting ready to open up San Diego and then office in Florida. Nice. Well, I guess first, happy anniversary belated. And then uh, second, congratulations on the success and the growth of the company. And so I'm guessing that if going back and rewinding the days with Marcus and Millichap was mostly tilted towards the multifamily markets. Um, and then the George Smith era was probably a little bit of everything. Uh, and today, in terms of what you guys are focusing on, in terms of the different uh, sectors of the market, is it multifamily? Is it office? Is it industrial? Is it retail? Is it all of the above? It's all of the above. So we really, we source primarily, our main business is sourcing debt and equity for all asset classes of commercial real estate across the country. And that includes some things that you might not think about. We've recently financed some ghost kitchens or what they call industrial parking, where they put concrete over uh, a dirt and they park 18 wheelers. So we really are agnostic to product type, and we've been very fortunate that we continue to turn over opportunities in the various um, asset classes. And, and in terms of the geographical areas that you guys cover, uh, with the offices throughout California, uh, Arizona, Texas, are you primarily focused in those markets, or does the business take you to other places as well around the country? Yeah, it takes us to other places around the country. We simply have offices in the various cities because that's where the people live, but we are um, helping clients across the country. Gotcha. And so in terms of perspective of um, the activity in the market, the changes in the wind with rising interest rates and just the overall economy, uh, I'm guessing you're seeing it not only play out here in California and the markets on the West Coast, but then uh, as it goes across the country, it impacts those markets as well. Absolutely. So in terms of today's world, uh, the deals that you're working on with the debt and the equity placement, uh, I guess talk to me a little bit, because if we rewind back to the beginning of the year or the first quarter, interest rates are still really low. People still have smiles on their faces most of the time. And now you've got this run up in interest rates. What has that done in a general sense and then also just in a day to day uh, to the capital markets and the deals that you're seeing and working on? Yeah, so generally, I mean, it's flowed on. I'm sure some of your other guests, especially on the investment sales side, have talked about how it's reduced as far as the volume. On the capital market side, it has to some extent, but we're also, I guess if you want to coin it, we're somewhat of an essential need from the standpoint of people still need to refinance, right? They have loans coming due. There are still people out there buying, I mean, people in exchanges and for other reasons. And then there are developers, right? Because their um, purview is much longer, right? So they start today and they're really not coming out of the ground for two to three years. And so they still need access to capital. And so fortunately for us, and I think because of our culture, which is highly collaborative, which we'll talk about later, and the fact that uh, the, the capital markets guys on our team are really active, our pipeline has really, if, if it's diminished 10%, that's a lot. So these guys are out there hustling and talking to principals and brokers. And a lot of also we get um, uh, opportunities through lenders, right? Because lenders have a box, and if it doesn't fit in their box, rather than say to the client, I can't help you, we have a lot of lenders that actually refer them to us. Yeah, you know, unlike a financial institution or a mainstream lender where you have a refi market and you have a purchase market, you know, the lenders we've had on the show, obviously that refi market has pretty much dried up for the moment because it just doesn't make sense to do it. But people that are trading, people that are buying and selling for various reasons, there's still a need. There's a transaction. And if there's a transaction, there's a need for, for debt and equity, right? 
the refi has slowed down from the standpoint of people maybe taking cash out or for other reasons, but there's still a healthy market of loans that are coming due. Right. Right. And so what have you seen in the underwriting side of it in today's world versus rewinding six months ago with taking a look at these markets? I mean, have cap rates moved? Have loan to values dropped? Has the underwriting criteria gotten tighter as a result of, you know, just the economy and then the rise in the rates? Yeah. So cap rates is a real interesting question. I mean, from the standpoint of sellers, uh, they seem to plant their feet in the ground and still want the cap rates that they have become used to over the last few years or more than a few years. From the underwriting standpoint, though, you will have the appraisers and the internal underwriting teams of lenders. They'll be more realistic. So they're going to underwrite at cap rates that are probably 200 to 300 basis points higher than they were before. They're also going to focus on a lot on the principal. What's their experience? Uh, have they done this before? Is it their first or second time around? So there's a lot of focus on resume of the principal, as I mentioned, what they've done. And then again, on the underwriting, they are going to be very, very cautious because any lender will, whether it's a bridge lender or it's a regulated lender, they are underwriting to the takeout. So how are they getting you know, replaced? And so they're very, very tight now in their underwriting. Yeah, and what I found in our world as well is before there weren't a lot of questions getting asked about uh, scrutiny of what the pro forma rents might be in the future or where things go. And now with the uncertainty, uh, there's certainly a lot more questions getting asked about the property, about the income, and then also about the borrower. It just makes it that much more difficult, I think. I'm curious your input. For somebody who doesn't have a deep resume and is looking to do, you know, uh, a one-off kind of a transaction uh, to get a lot of attention from a lot of different lenders if they don't have a relationship with them already. Right. And what they have to do really is start small and finance through family and friends and go around once or twice. And the other thing I've seen is that the loan to value really has gotten cut. So, so everybody has pulled back the seventy-five percent loan to value on financing. Yeah. It's, it's much more difficult to get, if at all. It is, and so there's a number of constraints that a lender is going to look at. One being debt coverage ratio, loan to value, and some lenders will look at debt yield. Mostly in today's market, uh, the loan to values are getting cut because of the debt coverage ratio. Yeah, so the rents just don't, I mean, for the average person out there, right, the rents don't cover it. It, The rents are very low. The previous owner of the property either didn't capitalize on the rents or the property needs fix-up in order to be able to raise the rents. And so the person who's buying it has to come up with a much higher down payment. And uh, we've seen it on the multifamily side of it. You used to be able to come up with, you know, 25, 30, 35%. And now a lot of the deals we're looking at, it's 50, 55% you have to come up with. Right. Plus, you know, in their underwriting now, they're underwriting to a much higher interest rate. So that's cutting with proceeds. And then in addition, if you need to do fix up to the property, you either have to build that into it or you got to come up with it out of pocket. So it's even higher percentage. And that's where bridge lenders right now are really seeing a lot of activity as opposed to in the past, it was more slanted towards the regulated lenders. Yeah. And and let's talk, I guess, Southern California, L.A., Orange County for a second. The buyers that are out there for, I guess we're going to generalize, but in the two to ten million dollar purchase range for a typical type of transaction, whatever asset class it might be. Who's the typical buyer if there even is one? Is it foreign guys still? Is it 1031 guys? Is it local investors? Is it a combination? What are you seeing? 
it's really a combination, not so much foreign investors, although there's still a healthy amount of foreign investors, but still 1031 exchange buyers. And then there have been people throughout the different markets that have been on the sidelines, and now they're coming back and seeing where they can take advantage of today's market. So it is a mixed bag still. Are you seeing, like I, we have seen on our side, I, I can't tell you how many deals I, I've seen where it says back on market and I get an email and it says back on market because the deal fell apart. Because as you mentioned, the seller is holding on to yesterday's number. The buyer is looking at right. tomorrow's number and using it against the seller and a bit nervous. And then if the buyer gets retraded or reanalyzed by the lender, then they come back and look for some contribution by the seller and the seller either says yes right. or no. And if it's no, the deal falls apart. And then what winds up happening is if there's no one standing there, so I don't have backup offers like I used to, then I have to start dropping the price, which is now you're what I call chasing your tail, right? Where you're just ratcheting down. And are you seeing some of that in your world as well? We are. And we do a lot of business with brokerage shops, um, whether they have a capital markets team or not. Uh, And we are seeing a lot of that happening where exactly as you just described, Barry, you know, for whatever reason, either the loan's coming in short or in their due diligence, there's more work that needs to be done at the property, typically lowers the value. And we're seeing those deals, you know, fall off because, you know, to some extent, sellers need to get uh, realistic, right? And it can be a shock to them. And so we are seeing deals fall apart like that. And and we've talked about this on other shows. It makes the life of the broker, uh, as a guy who ran a brokerage shop and talking to another guy who runs a brokerage shop, it's what I call the disconnect between expectation, between buyer and seller, between yesterday and today, right? You've got to get your client, whether he's the buyer or the seller, to become realistic about where things are headed so that you have, you're not trying to tap out or you're not overpriced. And, and sometimes that's difficult to do. The broker sometimes doesn't help the cause trying to get the listing by telling them what he wants to hear. Right. And then sometimes the seller right. is just in yesterday's world and can't get real, right? And so we're still in that. I think we're going to see that. And then typically, you know, December is either a hustle to get deals done or people just go, forget it. I'm going to wait until January and see what happens. So I think that'll also be interesting to see what the markets look like going into the first quarter. What are you telling your folks and and what do you expect is going to happen now that the election's over and once we get past the holidays? Well, you know, going back to what you said a minute ago, Barry, in all markets, we have to manage expectations, whether it's the seller or the buyer, right? In a good market, you have to manage the expectations of the buyer because the cap rates are so low and the returns are low as well. So we have to do that in all markets. But going into this, you know, next year, you know, we've actually seen some of the lenders kind of take a breath for a second and actually have lowered rates. 10-year treasuries come down uh, about 30 basis points last couple of weeks. So some of the shock has worn off. I'm not giving anybody false hope like it's all rose-colored glasses, but we are seeing it loosen up a little bit. But going into next year, I think people are still going to be cautious. I think lenders are still looking at their allocations. We we're at the Tri-Guild conference, my partner was at the Tri-Guild conference uh, last week in San Diego, and some of the sentiment out there was some of the allocations for the pension funds and insurance companies are gonna be less. So I think money is gonna be tighter. Again, the focus will be on the resume of the principal and their background, and then a lot will focus on their liquidity and net worth. So how can they weather the storm if it even gets worse? What's your perception of the lenders that are out there they have money to lend, right? They're just being careful about it, I think, more careful. 
Yep, they are, and it depends on you know whether you're regulated or non-regulated because it's a whole different structure, right? If you're regulated, you do have the regulators coming in once a quarter, looking at your books and determining whether the loans are at risk or not, which then impacts their reserves, right? On the on the bridge lending, it's really interesting. I mean, I would recommend to anybody, whether they're a broker, intermediary like we are, or even a principal, when you do a loan with a bridge lender, you have to ask where their money's coming from because if it's coming from sources that they don't control, those people will pull back as well. And so I do think it will be tighter, uh, much more scrutiny on the principal, as I mentioned, but also from the other side, I think as an intermediary or a borrower or sponsor, as they call it now, you have to have some scrutiny on the borrow, on the lender as well. And so what about the 1031 market, right? I mean, it was hot and heavy. It was cooking along. People are trading stuff, uh, making money that they didn't even know they could make, and then just buying somebody else's property for more than what it was worth because they didn't care because they sold theirs for more than what it was worth. And I I think that's sort of gone by the wayside as well. There's still properties trading. There's still 1031 guys out there. But it seems to me like there's just a lot less activity in, in that aspect of the market. I'm curious your thoughts there. Yeah, there definitely is a lot less in, in that aspect, right? Because again, to be in the 1031 exchanges, we all know the seller, right, has to be part of that, right? If he's not realistic or she's not realistic about what their property is worth in today's market, it's just going to sit there. So again, it will be a much slower 1031 market. We're seeing that on our end as well. We see a lot of the guy who is trying to play the game as best he can and says, well, I'll sell high. I'd like to sell it yesterday's number, and then I'd like to buy right. tomorrow's number. And if you can pull that up, then then you know more power to you. The problem with it is, is if I can't get my number on the one hand, and I also can't get someone else's number uh, that, that's much lower on the other hand, then I'm not a deal maker, in which case you have to have two things aligned, two stars. Uh, makes it very difficult to make a deal. Right, it goes back to what we were talking about before about managing expectations, right? Because regardless of what the market is, you're always buying and selling in the same market. Now, with that said, how do you maneuver that a little bit? Well, you can, let's say, if you want to go from owning property in California to maybe owning property in Oklahoma. Yes. And nothing against the schooners, it's just a different marketplace, right? So before, let's say, a Starbucks in the heyday in California was trading either side of a four cap. In Oklahoma, you're probably trading either side of a five cap or maybe the high fours. So that's about the only way you can maybe play that market of where you're going to sell high and buy low. But again, you're not going to be in Southern California. And you're not getting a six or a seven cap anywhere, uh, even if you right. went to Mississippi or Alabama and bought something out in the sticks. Uh, the spread right. on the cap rate, you then have to ask yourself that question. Is it worth it to go to Texas for uh, one percentage point higher on your return versus California? Right. Or you know, if that spread was two or three or two and a half or something, then I'd do it, right? Yeah. And that's, that's what really ran up the markets, I think, in Colorado and Arizona, certainly even Nevada, Texas, where people coming out of California said, hey, I'm going to go someplace else and get a little better return. Yeah, when I started my brokerage career and I was doing sales across the country as well, it was known as California money. Regardless of what state you were looking at, that's how it was termed. It was California money coming in and getting better values. Yeah, and and I think that to a certain degree has slowed down. The the housing market we've seen, that trend still continue because people say it's very expensive to live and and stay and work in California. So they go to other states and whatever they go to there looks cheap. Yeah, now going to that on the cost of living, the build for rent market has 
picked up over the last couple of years, slowed down obviously now, but I mean, it's still actually a pretty healthy marketplace. And, and so what factors do you guys look at uh, going forward into 2023 that you think will have the most or the greatest impact on where the commercial markets go? Will it be uh, continued interest rate raises from the Fed? Will it be supply chain? Will it be employment? What are the big factors you talk to your clients about? Mostly it's going to be the interest rates where, where they're going and then also being realistic on the loan to value or loan to cost. I mean, that's really where we're focused on in, and going back to what we talked about earlier about managing those expectations. So that's what we try to advise our clients, the ones we're working with, so that we can help them get this over the finish line. And in terms of the time frame to get a transaction completed in today's world versus six months ago, is it longer or just the same amount of time, just more difficult? Yeah, more difficult. It's about the same amount of time. I mean, during PPP, uh, we had a challenge because the loan development officers or business development officers, rather, they were so busy on PPP. At this time of year, banks, I think you may alluded to it earlier, Barry, they're focused mostly on the 1031 exchange buyers in any time frame now. It's always the third party reports that is the stocking horse and usually it's the appraisal. And so at this time of year, uh, it is usually very busy. But given the fact that the overall market has slowed down, I don't think that transactions will take longer because of the third parties. It may take longer because of the underwriting. I think lenders are asking a lot more questions. So as you provide or as a sponsor provides more due diligence, they're going to peel back the layers of the onion a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and from a, from a borrower's perspective, it's important to have all your information together and your story and your resume and, and all of the backup stuff so that a lender can digest it quickly and, and, and make a yeah. determination. If, if you're incomplete, you just string it out, right? And then you run the risk that somebody comes well, back and gives you an answer you don't really like. Right, or they'll just put it to a, to the side. And so they're going to, until you, the sponsor borrower, gives them all the information, it's just going to sit on their desk. Yeah. No, I agree. What do you advise for today, uh, in today's little snapshot, owners of properties that you have that are thinking about selling? Do I hold the property and wait and see what happens? Do I hurry up and sell before rates go up because it might impact the value of the property? Uh, obviously, there's there's different motivations for different folks, but what is your advice to people that are thinking about selling? We're not on the, the investment sales side, but obviously we're talking to them on the debt side. So I think it's really a matter, and I've always done this my whole career, is really kind of digging deeper. It's more of um, estate planning. What are they trying to accomplish? I mean, again, if someone's just trying to come in and flip it for you know, a lot of money, that's a whole different story. But realistically, owning real estate is a long-term hold. I mean, people talk about that for the stock market as well. But I mean, um, I sold a property with some partners earlier this year. We held it for 19 years. And that's truly what you have to look at as we guide people is what are they trying to accomplish? Are they trying to leave certain things to their children or to charities or really what is their end goal? And we really work backwards from there. How does that play into the debt side of it since that's the world you're in? With rates up, are, are people are you advising them still to do longer term financing in terms of fixing the rate? Or is it do shorter term because maybe the rates will come down and you can come back and take a bite at the apple later on? Yep, a great question. We are the latter. We are recommending people to take shorter-term uh, loans two to three years or three to five years and because exactly that. And then also we work with them on the flexibility of the prepay. So, for example, federally chartered 
uh, credit unions cannot uh, charge a prepayment penalty. And then there's other lenders that are more flexible as well. So we believe that combination of shorter term with flexible prepay is the way to go in today's market. As opposed to what you might have had six months ago, which was longer term, lower interest rate, higher prepay. I don't care. The rate's very cheap. I'm not going to go refinance it, right? Correct. And then also, I think people now are reevaluating the wisdom of taking interest only. Because in today's market, if you have a loan coming due in the next year or two, and you are interest only, especially like a CMBS full term IO, you could be in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I look for those guys because I want to talk to them about buying their property because those are the people that bought when the rates were low. And so if you had a 3% or 3.5% interest rate at interest only and you now are at 6 uh, fully amortizing, effectively your payment more than doubled. And if you're not in a position to absorb that from increasing your cash flow or having reserves, you, you doubt, your, your only solution is to sell. And then the issue is Absolutely. if you're selling and cap rates are higher, then you have not maximize your number but you're stuck between a rock and a hard place and you could come out of pocket i mean very rarely we'll see it but you can come out of pocket just to get it sold yeah i i think there's some more of that coming in i think that the smaller operators who bought stuff or guys that were in 1031s that just bought it to not pay the taxes whatever whether it was an industrial building office building retail multifamily, if they don't really know what they're doing in a hot market you don't really need to know what you're doing to look intelligent in a difficult challenging market uh, it's a completely different story and i think those are the people that are really going to be looking in the mirror and, and trying to make some decisions on what they do and how they get out of the pickle they're in shortly Absolutely. And so going forward in terms of future for uh, your company, uh, continue to expand in other offices or expand the offices that you have or just keep making deals with what you got? What's the game plan? Mostly it's expanding into new offices. Um, As you know, Barry, because you've been doing this a long time too, this is actually the kind of market that is an opportunity to hire good people for varying reasons. They're leaving their companies, Um, either they're being let go resources are being pulled back so we'll look at this as a really good opportunity years ago i read a book uh, it's called um, uh, memos of the chairman by the gentleman who ran goldman sachs and he was talking about in good markets you count paper clips and rubber bands in markets like this is you spend more in advertising and you hire and i subscribe to that philosophy so we're expanding right now we've just hired somebody last week in the dallas office and my recruiting pipeline is right now at uh, 10 or 11. Interesting. Yeah, and I subscribe to that same philosophy. I don't have any rubber bands to count, but I do have a bunch of paper clips. It, it will also be interesting to see, you know, as you go forward, certainly in the real estate world, you have escrow companies, title companies, really pulling back, scaling their staff back. Uh, and then, you know, we've heard uh, uh, recently of large tech companies really taking giant chunks of their right. workforce and just getting rid of them. Those people are all going to be back in the market and might be looking for a different job with a different scope of, of skill set and maybe at a di- completely different pay scale. Right. And so I, I think that also will be interesting. And, and that leads me sort of my final question. Uh, I told you when we started, this would go quick and we could probably go yeah. all day, but I know you want to get down to the casino and put everything you have on red or black and, and pick something. But the question I have is, what do you think is the single uh, biggest thing going forward uh, in 2023? that will affect the commercial real estate values? Is it the interest rates um, or or is it some other factor? Well, I think it's gonna be a combination. I mean, the interest rates are always, you know, a factor. So I'm here in Las Vegas for the Restaurant Finance and Development Show. 
and it's the busiest it's been, uh, you know, since COVID. And the sentiment is still pretty positive. But with that said, everybody is cautious, right? So with interest rates rising and just, you know, the middle class really kind of struggling, you know, to make ends meet. So, for example, the restaurant business will, you know, their head counts or their you know, ticket counts go down. So I think, you know, everybody is just really cautious on not only the interest rates, but obviously inflation, it, although it's tampered a little bit, um, is still a big issue. And what's the Fed going to do and how is that going to affect? I mean, again, you know, we have, as you just mentioned, Barry, a lot of unemployment now from the tech companies, and that's just going to trickle down. And it's going to be, you know, less people, you know, I, I'm assuming a lot of those people were the people that were, you know, in the Starbucks and in the fast food chains and things like that. So it's all going to trickle down. So I think there is a lot of caution, not just on the interest rate. I think it's just kind of that overall economic effect right now. And I think people are still in a little bit of shock and still trying to figure out what's going to happen next. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think it'll be interesting to see what the numbers look like from the retail sales from the holidays, if people are still spending left and right, or if they do ratchet it back a little bit. Uh, and then going forward, it'll, it'll certainly be interesting to see how the other factors in the economy wind up trickling back to the real estate market, both on the residential side for the housing market, uh, which is taking a big hit, uh, and on the commercial right. uh, side of it as well in terms of just activity and deal flow and, and long-term perception. So I agree. I mean, it's all good stuff. I'd love to uh, have you come back and share your thoughts. We'll come back in a year and see if we were right or wrong or where we stand. Yeah. Uh, in the interim, uh, I wish you continued success with your company and, and the growth and the expansion. Uh, and uh, um, uh, wish you a prosperous and, and healthy holiday season and, and a, a great 2023. How can people reach you if they want to, uh, website-wise? Um yeah, thanks. And I was going to say thank you for the opportunity to come on the show. I really enjoyed it and I appreciate the questions. And then just for anyone out there that is maybe interested, especially if they are with a company similar to ours and they want to talk to us about what we have to offer our culture, please reach out. And the best way is through the website. I'm happy to, and my telephone number is there. People can call me, email me, happy to talk to anybody. And whether it's about, you know, opportunities with the company or how we look at financing and then we didn't really talk about it, but we also have advisory fee services that we can offer actually for, we work with uh, capital sources, both the regulated and unregulated lenders and clients on that, on that side of the equation. So Got happy it. to talk to anybody about that. You know, like and, I said, the website's probably the best. And what's the website just for our listeners? Sure. It's easy. www.torocapitaladvisors.com and Toro is T-A-U-R-O. And we have a lot of fun because you'll see when you go into our website, you'll see a bull in its full glory. And we have a lot of fun with bull as in various aspects of the company. Good. And uh, Steve's hiring and uh, uh, they're growing and they're making deals. So for those of you out there that uh, need debt, need equity, need a job, he's your man. Uh, for everyone here at the radio station, I want to thank uh, our whole crew at uh, OC Talk Radio and all the folks involved. I want to thank our viewers and our listeners for tuning in again. Uh, it's chilly morning here in Southern California. Bundle up if you're out here and in other parts of the country as well. Uh, I am Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you here next week on Let's Talk Real Estate.
there you have it. You've been listening to Let's Talk Real Estate, your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current state of the real commercial real estate market right here in Southern California. On Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio, streaming live from our studio here at the University of California Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center.